Yo, okay, guys, welcome to another episode today. I have Jimmy, that meditation guy. First of all, what's your surname? Whiteman, Jimmy Whiteman. Jimmy Whiteman, a white man called Jimmy <laughs> Whiteman. I love it. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Good. Glad to be here. Um, this is, I said this to you before, and I actually mean this. I don't think I've ever been this excited for a podcast because I haven't really spoke to anyone face to face. I spoke to one of my friends and I think him being my friend, I've always attached talking to meditation either about him or to myself. And I feel like with you, not only myself, but a lot of my audience is going to learn so much from you. But first of all, who's Jimmy? Where are you from? Well, uh, I'm really from up north, actually. Like I grew up in Warrington uh, near Manchester and Liverpool. But I moved to the South uh, when I was kind of like 15. So my accent's a bit messed up. Some words will be Northern, some would be really Southern. Yeah. Uh, lived in for London for about 15 years and then recently moved to Brighton. So it's where, all good. Where, um, whereabouts in London? I lived in Labrador Grove, West London. How's that compared to where you are now? <laughs> well, now I'm very much in the suburbs. So, you know, by the beach, very, very quiet life. Yeah, very different. But I really loved it there, actually. I had a great time living in uh, sort of near Portobello, all the all the clubs, all the bars of London. Sort of, I lived there through my twenties and my thirties. So yeah, it was great. Your thirties? Wait, how old are you? I'm forty two. Shut up. <laughs> well, I'm going to be forty two in, in a month. Yeah. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Meditation <laughs> keeps you young. <laughs> That's right. Oh my days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Any kids? Uh, no, that's probably why. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's probably why. When um. So how long have you been meditating for? I've been meditating. I started getting into this about 10 years ago. Okay. And the reason I got into it was because in the early 2000s, in my early 20s, uh, I was really into the clubbing, partying scene. Ibiza, all that stuff. Like, yep. you know, uh, Thailand, full moon parties, you name it. And then all the, all the London clubs, a lot of my friends were DJs, club promoters. So I was really into that whole world, basically. Yeah. And as you might know, or you might have seen in some of your friends, you do that lifestyle for long enough, you're going to have some mental health problems. So I had really chronic insomnia uh, as I was getting into sort of my mid-20s to my 30s. And also some bouts of depression that I think is probably linked to that lifestyle. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and that's when I started to look for ways to figure it out. So if you start Googling around fixing those problems, you keep coming up with meditation as a potentially good solution that's scientifically proven. And it all started there for me. What is, um, for the people that don't know, chronic insomnia? Um, that would be, I would go to bed at like 9, 10 p.m. every night and I wouldn't be asleep until like 3 a.m., something like that. And I was really, really struggling. Really? I still managed to keep my life afloat though, um, but it was just a struggle every day. You're just always thinking about how tired you are. And that led me to feel kind of depressed and then I used alcohol in order to get me to sleep every night. Um, and that in itself is a vicious circle because you just... You just need more and more and more to keep you keep knocking you out every night. Yeah. So I knew something had to change. And that's when I started looking at meditation as like just a way for, to get to sleep. So it was all about sleep CDs back in those days or sleep meditations off YouTube. Uh, and were you, were you working at this point? Were you working a lot? What were you doing for work? I used to work in a travel company. So yeah. a desk job. 
And it was a pretty cool job, actually. I used to get lots of time off and I could go and travel the world and I got really great deals. So it was pretty cool. But day to day, I found I didn't really like working at a desk. It just wasn't for me. Yeah. So I had this idea, I had this vision in my mind that this is when I was about in my mid-twenties, I had this vision where I thought, if I could rearrange my life so that I work from my laptop and I make all my money from the laptop, bear in mind this is 2006, seven, so it wasn't a normal thing to do back then. I could go and live somewhere really exotic and beautiful and all my problems would be ended. I'm sure that's what I need in my life. So I quit my job, me and a mate started a business online and, well, it was pretty tough at first. We were broke for quite a few years. But after about five years, it really took off. It was all about SEO and affiliate marketing and all that stuff. And sure enough, at a certain point, we took off to this exotic location. We went to Tulum, Mexico. Sick. And we were just living the good life, partying it up, drinking loads, having fun. I still had some like insomnia, mental health problems going on, but I didn't really care because I was having a good time. Yeah, And... I had a, it was on this particular trip where I was out in Mexico where I'd achieved this dream that I thought was going to solve everything. I was going to be living my perfect life. I realized there was still something missing. I had everything. I had this amazing place to live where we had our own pool, running the job, running my business from a laptop. I seemed to have it all. And yet there was something missing at this point. And that's when I thought, you know what, when I go back to the UK, I'm going to look more into this meditation thing because it helps me sometimes with the sleep, but I think there's something in my mind that needs to be figured out or fixed. And so after I returned from that trip, that's when I put myself into a, my first sort of proper meditation class, which was a eight-week mindfulness class. Um, and that's when I started to dig really deep into it and realize, okay, there's something here, you know, that's, this is what I need to work on. This is what I need to figure out. And what was doing that class like? Was this like a course that you did in the UK or was mm -hmm. it um, somewhere you had to go away and you had to do eight weeks camp somewhere or what was it like? That was just, it's called a mindfulness-based stress reduction and it's very scientifically proven. There's no <laughs> hippie stuff, as you would say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's just once a week. You go there for like an hour every week and they teach you some stuff and they teach you how to meditate. So it's, you know, fairly low investment. I'm still doing all my other stuff. And it was quite good because it showed me that uh, you, there is a way of working with the mind and dealing with stress that isn't just drinking it away or watching TV. You can actually experience your mind and yourself in a different way. And it really opened my eyes. But then once the course was over, I didn't stick to it very well. I found that I needed to use a lot of um, effort to get myself into the spot to keep meditating. And the habit just didn't really stick. And the insomnia kind of leveled off a bit when I was doing the course, but then it came back and I fell into my old ways. And so I thought, right, there's got to be something else. What, what other kind of meditations are there out there? And I found around the corner from where I used to live in Notting Hill, there was this woman teaching a kind of mantra meditation. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I'll go and check this and out. And what is that? Well, I'll explain okay, it in just a sec. I'm, I'm getting excited. <laughs> <laughs> I went to see her and uh, booked onto this course. And it was a four-day course. You go there for two hours a day, every day for four days. And she's going to teach this meditation. And I looked at the website and I thought, well, she looks pretty normal and it's saying it's all scientifically proven. So that's cool because I was really anti anything sort of hippie and weird, you know, yeah, back yeah, then. Yeah. I'm not I, yeah, I was like, I don't want to see any crystals. I don't want any weirdness. <laughs> so anyway, I go along and 
<laughs> within about the first 15 minutes, I'm sat, I'm in there with a group of people and we're all looking at this picture of an Indian guru on the wall. She's singing a song in Sanskrit. Yeah. There's like, you know, candles and um, fruit and flowers everywhere. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what have I got myself into? So I was kind of put off by this originally. But after that, by the way, that's called a puja ceremony. In India, it's completely normal. It's just a way of showing respect for the people who brought these practices. Yeah, okay. It's just at the time, I didn't know what it was, so I was kind of freaked out. Of course, you're diving into the deep end there, <laughs> not knowing what's happening. I bet you w- walked in, you're like, what's this? Am I in an orgy that I don't know yeah, about? Yeah, that's it. I was like, oh my God, I'm in a cult. <laughs> so from there, it was like, okay, it all settled down. She taught us the technique and... A mantra, you can think of it as a soothing sound with a vibrational quality. Yeah. It comes from an ancient spiritual tradition in India, and people have been meditating on mantras in order to bring about certain changes in consciousness. Yeah. And she taught us this very simple and easy technique of how to meditate in an effortless way using a mantra in order to help you kind of drop away from the surface level of the mind down into a deeper levels of the mind, more subtle levels of the mind. And although I was rejecting a lot of the stuff that she was saying about the spiritual side, I couldn't deny the effect it had on me. (laughs) The mind and the body just did what she said it would do. And uh, after that course, I went home, I went to bed at 9pm and just slept like I'd never slept before. And I've never had an insomnia problem since. It's Amazing. Did... What you said when you were traveling and when you had everything that you wanted from online business, traveling, party and all this stuff, that thing that you were looking for, would you confidently say that you have it now? Mm, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. You do. Now, I feel like I'm still on the journey and I'm still searching and interested, but purely for the joy of it. I'm not yeah. trying to fix anything anymore. And what, what is it that you're searching for? Like when you say that you found what it is and is it like a deeper level of what you already see or is it more peace? Is it more mindfulness what is it now i'm just on the journey just for fun then just because i'm alive and i'm here i might as well do something with my time so i'll carry on going down these roads learning from interesting teachers and trying out different techniques and just uh deepening the practice but i really feel like there's there's not that much further to go because what what I was taught quite simply is that the joy of just simply being is tapping into something inside yourself that makes you recognize you're already complete. All of those things I was trying to do to fix myself and complete myself were just overcomplicating the situation, as it were. Yeah. So what you said about alcohol and all that stuff, I did. I actually did a post the other day about it. How like, what I was asking people why they drink. Is it for pleasure or is it for an escape? And I feel like when we do, say, drink or do substances of whatever, if it's for an escape, you, we, I think we're avoiding the conversation that we need to have with ourselves to overcome whatever issue that it is that we have. And what do you think, like, in society or people or with clients that you work with, um, how, how, how could they start? to start improving their lives or to have this inner peace that say you have, that I believe, I think that I have, how, how would you tell them to start? Well, good question. The way it was taught to me, the teacher said, you don't have to make any lifestyle changes. You don't have to do anything. All you've got to do is do this kind of meditation that I'm going to teach you 20 minutes twice a day 
and just be religious about it. First thing in the morning before you have breakfast and then again later in the day. Just do that and let everything unfold as it will. Now, I don't reckon that that works for everybody. But for some reason for me, I found that just worked. I just did the meditation and I just didn't worry about anything else. And what I found was because my mind was more clear and my nervous system was calm, I didn't feel the need to like drink alcohol in the same way. So I noticed that after a few weeks, I'd go and open the fridge and I'd think, God, those beers have been in there for like a week and I haven't drank them. That's so weird. Like normally I would just cane everything straight away and then be like walking to the shop at 10 p.m. to get more. Were you a big drinker? Massive. Really? Massive. What's massive like? Is that you? Oh, I used to, dr- I used to drink Monday to Friday. I'd drink at least a bottle of red wine every night. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. And then at the weekends, I'd just like oblivion. So, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, snap. But, okay. it was, but it was like fun though a yeah, lot of yeah. the times. You know, you know, I was very social. So I was with friends, I was hanging out. But then I would also drink on my own. I would drink every day, yeah. And, and did you see, you were like, shit, this is going to become a problem. Oh, I'd stop now and again and like get into the gym for a while, but then it, I'd fall back into it, yeah. And do you, um, do you drink at all now? Now I have just a very normal relationship with alcohol. So I never really crave it. I'm never really that don't really tend to have it in the house, but if I meet an old friend, we can have a beer, it's no problem, you know. Yeah. So it's just, just take it or leave it. There's yeah. no no craving anymore. Yeah, I noticed um, we we just met today and within half an hour, you declined free, free, <laughs> free opportunities of any level of caffeine. I, I noticed. <laughs> and I'm assuming that is on purpose. Is that to avoid any sort of stimulus to your brain or is there another reason for that? Um, I just like how my mind and body feels right now Okay. in this moment. So if I know if I put some caffeine in, I'll get all excited and it just won't feel as comfortable. And You'll as be an, like me. Yeah, yeah <laughs> as an enjoyable. Well, you probably have, because you're used to it, you have the caffeine, it makes you feel more normal to have it. Yeah. For me, it'd be very strange because I gave it up to do this original meditation course and I just never picked it back up again. Okay. I just thought, oh, this is what it feels to not be like overexcited in the nervous system and the mind. Yeah. And it feels good. So I want to hang on to this. And how long have you been doing that? Uh, I learned that kind of meditation, um, I think it would be seven years ago. Um, so you just stopped caffeine seven years ago? Yeah. Oh, wow. And I, and I did, I practiced that kind of meditation 20 minutes twice a day, every day for about two years. And then I went, okay. I've got what I wanted from this. I've cured the insomnia. I've cured the uh, the sleeping thing. I should probably say that if somebody has, has got these problems, you know, it might not necessarily work that way for you. Maybe see a therapist if you need to. But for me, it just seemed to work. And then my interest in it shifted from fixing problems to, I wonder what happens if I go on a retreat and I take this to a deeper level. What's What's there? Like, what, what's, what, how far can I push this? How good could I actually feel if I keep going? So I started to go on these retreats. And this is when I tried different styles of meditation as well. So I've done some really comfortable retreats where you have, a, you know, your own private room and you are doing all sorts of yoga and breath work and you can chat to the other people and the food's really nice. And then I've done these really hardcore ones where you're living like a monk and they wake you up at 4.30 in the morning with like a big gong and you're sharing a room with seven other people and it's completely silent and you can't even make eye contact with people. Yeah, and you meditate for 12 hours a day in a big hall. You've meditated for 12 hours a day? 
not in one go. You but. stop and <laughs> you have breaks and you go to the loo. But yeah, it's it's between 10 and 12 hours a day, every day for 10 days if you go on a Vipassana Where course. did you do that? There's a couple of Vipassana centers in, in the UK um, and you just have to apply. It's actually free to go on them. And yeah, anyone can do it. It's a, a style of meditation from uh, Sri Lanka. Okay. And you all sit in a big hall and... Yeah, you face your demons together without oh, wow. a back support and with the legs crossed. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's not how I teach it. Yeah. But that that is, you can put so yourself So I can't take my that. phone in there, story my experience. Oh my God, yeah. yeah you, you, no phone, no books, no journal, not even pictures to look at on the wall. Yeah. So you really, really are alone with your yourself. And oh, you wow. get to see how crazy your mind actually is when you're not distracted. Did... um. What? I'm trying to think of how I could do that. That takes a lot of... <laughs> Let me tell you, the way to do it is just book on it and do don't it. think about it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> because no, I, I do want to do like some sort of retreat. And to be honest, like um, I, I mentioned this to you, I think I replied to something you posted or something and I was like, this all hit me. I started meditating and I started talking about all my stories on Instagram. I never, I've tried it before, but I was like, what am I doing? I can't, I can't sit still. What should I be thinking about? Why isn't my mind calm? I'm looking at the ocean somewhere nice. Like I should be calm here. Why am I thinking about emails, messages, Instagram, what my dad said, what my mom said, what my friends have said, all these things that I need to do. It was very hard to focus on not thinking about those things. And this isn't me trying to advocate people to do this, but then I had a bit of a mushroom trip. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that was like the, the cheat code, I guess. Anyone that played Grand Theft Auto, R1, R2, L1, L2 cheat code. Um, that kind of took me to where I was like, oh, I get it. This is where... I think I'm supposed to be when I'm meditating or I should be working towards this. And I've never ever felt so peaceful in my life. And I'm not someone that's religious, but that is the one time I did question if there was a God. <laughs> <laughs> like I remember being on, I remember being, uh, I remember being in Australia by the water, amazing view. And I remember looking out into the ocean and thinking, oh my God, this is definitely the most spiritual thing I've ever felt. And that's when it started for me, right? And then I started meditating every day and I was just getting there quicker, almost. It's like a past, like something opened up, I don't know. But um, have you done those experiences? Is that something you're comfortable talking about uh, with psychedelics and all that stuff? And is there any correlation to that? I can talk about it, yeah. I did, I've done that stuff as well, but it was years ago before I was into meditation and it was really just something that I did for fun, just for the crack, why not, you know? So it was mind-blowing and mind-altering and it did show me something that was incredibly different and beautiful and life-changing, but I didn't know what to do with it. I had no framework okay, okay. for how to work with that experience because I was... I first did it in 1999 on a beach in Bali. Sick. I was 19 and it was beautiful. Yeah, it was an incredible experience. But the next day, me and my friends, we just sat around and we were just like, we went to another world. 
but I had no no concept of what to do with it. You're the Gilly Islands. <laughs> You're the Gilly Islands. No, I can't remember where we were. It was North Bali somewhere. Okay, cool. Um, and anyway, the all all I could think after that was let's do it again in Thailand with some other friends, and we meet them. And so we did it a few weeks later, and we had this other wild experience. But afterwards, I just didn't know what to do with it because meditation wasn't even remotely on my radar back yeah. in 1999, and. I've done it a few. I did it a few times after that, but um, yeah, it, it just seemed like a fun thing to do. So I didn't have any grand spiritual experience okay. off the back of it. <laughs> because the only reason I say that is, I hear a lot of people that friends and friends of friends or whatever they talk about doing drugs, right? Drugs, shrooms, whatever it is, and I always see the difference between someone going, oh my God, look at these shapes. These shapes are so cool. Instead of kind of trying to look, I guess, within to kind of use that superpower at that moment of time to not like find yourself, but like start asking questions. Sounds weird, but it was like, I've never had therapy before, but it felt like the best therapy I've ever had in my whole life. And when did it, when did you, when did you go, okay, that was it. Now I need to use it to be able to do the things that I'm doing now, because I feel like it takes a certain mindset to be open to these sort of things. And it usually is the people that are, I don't know, trying to create their own business, trying to accomplish these amazing things. People that visualize some level of greatness instead of kind of sticking to the very norm of getting a job, getting a mortgage, getting this and getting that. And so when I hear those people taking psychedelics or drugs, and I'm like, I wouldn't. <laughs> I would do it more if your mindset is like this, so you can really actually benefit out of these thought processes. Would you agree or do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think I know what you mean. So it's true. What what you might find is that a lot of people might take up meditation to make themselves more effective in a more productive, especially because it's famous now for all these guys on Wall Street doing it and Oprah's doing it and all of these really super successful business people are doing it. But then what you might find is that you do it and you find a level of happiness that is independent of external things. And suddenly getting the promotion doesn't seem as important. But it seems to work differently for different people. So there are some people who use it as this way of recharging themselves so that they can be more clear-headed and more active and go out into their lives and just be more effective. And then some people who use it and just think, oh, you know what? I don't need all those things I thought I needed. So it's great to see how it unfolds for each individual. So all I say is like, look, I'm going to teach you this technique and then you go off and apply it and let's just see what happens. Okay. I don't know what's going to happen, yeah. but I know that generally speaking, it's good because it's going to remove stress from your mind and body. And when I say stress, what I'm really talking about is in life, we often have situations which create a lot of heavy and uncomfortable emotions that go on in our mind and in our body. And usually because of how life is, we can't process those emotions in the moment. So we hang on to them. And yeah. over time, we're picking up more and more and more of this emotional baggage as we go through life. And a meditation will help us break that up 
and let go of it. Bring it to the surface so it can be felt and let go of. And if you keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it, you're just constantly letting go, letting go, letting go. And it's all happening in the background most of the time. Sometimes, sure, you'll meditate and you'll have some old horrible memory come up and you'll face it in that way. But it's rare. Most of the time, it's all happening in the background. So you start to feel lighter and lighter and lighter as you keep going. And that's why I think people, it's subtle, but after a while, people do start to feel like freer and more open. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I've, I've cried before after I've meditated. Oh, yeah, it's common. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, but you kind of don't know, but you feel this sense of relief, mm. you know? And it's, and it's, it's, kind of, it's actually amazing because you feel so powerful after. You yeah. feel almost invincible. And then you realize how strong, how much impact your mind has on in your life, you know? And I think one of the problems with people like novice when they're starting is I think there's too many expectations when they start meditating. And I think that can possibly ruin things because they start, they expect something five minutes later. Mm. And what would you say to them? You're exactly right. Because most people have this misunderstanding that meditation means to clear your mind of all thoughts and have a blank mind. And so they try and meditate thoughts come and they think, oh, well, I'm not meditating if I'm thinking, so this is wrong somehow. Okay. <laughs> and then a whole level, layer of story gets wrapped around the fact that I'm supposed to be having some experience, but I'm having this different one. This different one is wrong. How do I fix it? I'll tell you a funny story. When I first tried to meditate uh, doing the breath, I felt this is exactly how I felt. I need to get rid of all these thoughts. It's supposed to be a thoughtless experience. But thoughts kept coming. And I thought, right, what if I imagined, like, you know, those deep sea diver helmets around yeah, my head? Yeah, yeah. I thought, imagine one of those around my head. And then when thoughts come, I'll just kind of imagine pushing them outside the helmet. And so they can't get back in. Of course, this made everything a million times worse because now I'm kind of trying to focus on the breath, but I'm also pushing thoughts out of this visualization. They're trying to come back in. It was a complete mess, a complete um, overcomplication of what should have been a very simple thing. Now, what I teach people to do is accept the thoughts in the same way that you would accept birds singing outside or the wind in the trees. You have the same amount of control over thoughts appearing in consciousness as you do over those things. So just, you can let them come and go, just be completely disinterested and it will all just resolve itself as it, as it goes on. So, so the key is to accept those thoughts. And yeah. would you say for the people that but don't, don't get involved in the content. The content's irrelevant. So that's okay. the important thing. But so, it's just a thought. It's empty mental phenomena. Okay, so don't think into detail. <laughs> yeah. Know it's there and know it's kind of like passing by because, shit, today's day and age, like, especially like a lot of my clients, um, they're busy people. And with what I do with fitness and health, I try to make their life easier. So I try to remove that stress from them. But we're talking about people that work a lot, have kids, have family, relationships. They want to balance by having fun, having this. And they actually have kind of no time to their self. And the only time I think you would really have is probably meditating on your own with your own thoughts, but then it becomes too much. So I think that is probably the hardest thing. And for someone that is starting, that's going, okay, I'm going to do a 10 minute meditation. What in your eyes would be the perfect way to start like time-wise for someone 
that is just starting? Obviously, each individual would be different, but what would your advice be on that? I'd say try and get it up to 15 minutes as quickly as you can. So if you find that too hard, okay, no problem. Do five minutes, then the next day, six, seven. But if you can get it up to 15 minutes, then around the 15 minute mark, that's when certain biological shifts are going to kick in. You've probably heard of the flight or fl- fight or flight response. Yeah. So somebody threatens you in some way, all of this stress hormone gets pumped into the body and lots of lots of things kick off to make you be able to handle that situation. Well, funnily enough, in the same lab where they discovered that, this, uh, this guy called Herbert Benson discovered we have the opposite trigger called the relaxation response. And we can push that button and it does the opposite. It clears out all the stress hormones from the body and it introduces a bunch of happy hormones like serotonin and dopamine and oxytocin. We can trigger that whenever we want. And it's about the 12 to 15 minute mark in meditation where that tends to kick in. It's very reliably kicks in if you're using mantra. It can also kick in if you're focusing on breath, but it's a little bit harder. So I say, you know, if you're, if you're, Looking for a time, try and make 15 minutes the the minimum. Like try and push for that. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Or, or work up to it slowly if you're okay. struggling. Because <laughs> I was always like, if you can't do five, if you can't even do two minutes, why would you try 15? That was my mentality with it. Would you say I was wrong in that then? Yeah, because okay. the, <laughs> the first two minutes will be pretty tough. Okay, but yeah. But it gets easier as you go on. Okay. So rather than doing, say, five minutes slots three times a day, one 15-minute hit would be better because, yeah, the, the triggers go around 12 to 15 minutes So in. even if you're a beginner, you're saying just push through. Hit that 15, put that timer on. If you open your eyes, close them back or uh, or if you're, I don't know, staring into a forest or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say, yeah, but just don't overwhelm yourself. Okay. So I, I don't want anyone to push through or overwhelm themselves or re-traumatize themselves if it's really <laughs> difficult. No, just build up slowly. Okay. But you've got to bear in mind as well that there are different types of meditation. So okay. we're talking very broadly here, but yeah. I have a feeling that we we do quite different meditation because you're using concentration and focus to some degree to concentrate yes. on the breath, I imagine. Whereas there are other ways to meditate. Like I sometimes teach people uh, something called open monitoring, where you just sit there and you do absolutely nothing whatsoever. And then you just watch from a kind of detached position what's going on. So you you, you might label it. So you'd be here meditating with your eyes closed. And if you're in a monologue talks a little bit, you'd, you'd recognize, okay, I'm having a hearing experience. Then some birds singing outside. Oh, that's also a hearing experience. So like being present. So yeah, com- really completely, completely present. present to your inner and outer world. I feel like I do that when I walk. Yeah, yeah, you probably like, do. I do that when I'm walking. When I'm in the park, every morning I go for a walk. And without going for a walk, I feel like that's I, I need to start my day like this. I need to start my day like this. It's almost like, and then I go do like a 10 minute, to be honest, I don't even time it if I'm being honest. Um depending on uh, where I am and how I feel, I either sit in a park somewhere and just, um, it's always funny when I'm doing it as well because I've always, I've always got my big Nike jacket and my hat, my new era hat and definitely do not look like the guy that meditates. <laughs> probably People probably think I'm a drunk or something. Or I'll do that. I love listening to music and meditating. Is that good? Is that bad? Is that normal? What would your opinion on that would be? 
honest opinion. I want to rip, <laughs> rip me to pieces if you think that's not right. So all of these things, it will, or they will all give different effects. To my students, I say, don't use any relaxing music. Don't do anything like that. Just, I, I teach them to use this mantra, this ancient soothing sound from thousands of years ago. Use that in your mind as a thought and on, in an effortless way and you learn how to meditate on that. And as this thought, this mantra starts to fall away from the surface level of the thinking mind where thoughts are all verbalized, as that falls away into the deeper level of the mind, you kind of follow it with your awareness. So if you put music on in the background, the mantra would be competing with the music. So okay. you, you wouldn't do that. And similarly, I'm not teaching mindfulness, don't forget. So most people think meditation is mindfulness where you're picking something and you're trying to stick with it and your mind drifts off and then you recognize it and you come back. So that's a, a way of training the mind to stay with something. Okay. Whereas I teach people to use this mantra in a, in a certain way that doesn't use concentration, that allows them to drop into this kind of deep state of absorption where then they're not, it's presence isn't actually the game. It's really just having an inner experience. So there are lots of different ways to meditate. And concentration is one, focus is one, but there's also this other way, which is known as transcending. So what would you, what is mindfulness? Mindfulness, you could say, is paying attention to the present moment in a non-judgmental way. Okay. And... Yeah. And meditation is, how would you describe meditation? Meditation is an umbrella sort of term that underneath it has lots of different practices. It might have mindfulness, but it might also have some kind of breathing types of meditation. It might have this transcending meditation, what I call deep meditation. So all of these other things go under. So it's a bit like the word exercise. You okay, know. I was just going <laughs> to say that. I was just going to say that. Amazing. Okay, cool. And then you have all the different ways of exercising, exactly. training, different ways of doing this and doing that to accomplish your goal or wherever it is that you want to get to, I guess. Okay, that makes sense. I didn't actually know that. I, I could give you, if you like, the foremost scientifically researched types of meditation. Yeah. I could break them down for you, if you like. Go for it, yeah, of course. So number one would be focused attention. This is what most people think of. Close your eyes, pay attention to the breath, train the mind to stay on the breath. Loads and loads of good benefits, loads of good research to that. Most people think that's where it ends, but we could go further. So open monitoring, which we already mentioned, where you're not actively paying attention to anything, but you're witnessing what comes up as it arises. And then usually there'd be some kind of labeling. So you might say, oh, okay, I'm sensation in the foot. Okay, that's a feeling experience. Uh, you know, I'm okay, now I'm seeing um, some sort of visuals. That's a seeing experience. And you just witnessing what's coming and going from a, a detached standpoint. Lots of good things can come from that because you untangle your inner experience. You start to break down the way everything works. So when you get stressed, usually that's because you're having a hearing experience, your inner monologue's kicking off and saying all yeah. kinds of stuff. And you're feeling sensation in the fists, maybe you're like clenching them and there's a heat in the chest. Yeah. You can break it all down and just go, hang on, I'm having a hearing experience and a couple of different feeling experiences. <laughs> you can witness the whole thing and then it'll pass on okay. if you get good at it. Okay, another type of meditation, you might call it loving kindness. This is becoming quite big now, but it really comes from the Buddhist world where they realized back in the day, oh, if I want to be overflowing with love and kindness and compassion, then I can actually train that. 
So I'll meditate on love and kindness and compassion. And so they found a technique to do that. And an example of loving kindness meditation would be you close your eyes, you visualize somebody that you love and that you care about, and then you practice sending them loving intentions by way of an affirmation, something like that. And then they get a text message. (laughs) Well, you could just text them, it's easier. (laughs) Amazing, okay. Sorry, one more. No, 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 go. I'm loving this (laughs) because I'm I'm learning a lot. And to be honest, for someone like me, like I wasn't, I couldn't concentrate at school. I had zero focus. And when I do focus, it's usually when I'm talking to someone about, especially a topic that I'm so interested in. So for me, this is like great. So carry on, (laughs) go, go for it. So yeah, with the love and kindness, okay. That's, you, you can extend that out to lots of other people. So we'll move on. The last one, and of course there are thousands of different types of meditation. I'm giving you the four most scientifically researched. The last one would be scientifically known as automatic self-transcending. If you go and look in research papers, that's what it would be listed as. It also comes under various brand names like transcendental meditation or Vedic meditation. I just call it deep meditation. And this is where you use the mantra in this very, very specific way to kind of drop away from the present moment and have an inner experience which can feel kind of timeless. It's kind of a loss of self, if anything. And people like this because it's deeply relaxing. This is where you will find your inner stillness, inner silence. You're not learning to train the mind when you do this kind of meditation. You're not learning to stay with a focus object. You are using the mantra in a sense to give your mind a thought to think about that's soothing, but it has no concepts attached because it's such, it's um, it's just a sound. So the mind can't do anything with it. So the mind kind of latches onto it because it sounds nice, but then it makes everything go quiet. And then even the mantra gets lost. And then you'll have a this is called transcending, where you have an experience of going beyond the mind. Um, it doesn't last for very long. You'll you'll come out of it and you'll have thoughts, but it takes you into this deep place. So they're the four that seem to come up quite often, but then there's tons of other cool stuff going on. Uh, and what works best for you? <laughs> and the mantra was the one that had the big impact for me, and that's what I teach. Okay. And you teach over Zoom? Yeah. And, okay, so here's a question. Meditation, teaching this stuff, meditating, say with people on Zoom, does it make a difference? Is including electronics to this sort of thing, is it weird? Is it, well, does it affect anything? Does it affect the way someone will meditate? Is it good? Is it bad? I do feel a big difference if I go into a retreat situation and meditate in a group of people. Something about the coherence effect of that makes the meditation really powerful. But at the same time, I can easily teach people over Zoom and it will work really well for them. Uh, They will have all the same effects that if I taught somebody in in real life. Um, In the early days, quite often when I teach people, it brings up a lot of emotions. So it can be a lot of tears, maybe some aches and pains, some fatigue. I'm not selling this very well, (laughs) but (laughs) at least you know it works though, right? Of course, yeah. And if if you... go through that, if you can relax into that and understand that it's a natural part of the process, it actually just sorts itself out quite quickly. And then the meditation does start to become more enjoyable. I think people, um, they find it very difficult to face those feelings. Um, and I, it could be because I think they either judge themselves a lot, or it could be because other maybe they feel like other people judge them. And do you feel like meditating and kind of going within 
it helps with kind of going past that judging yourself feeling. Cause I feel like that's like a big problem in society. So many people act away. They don't act like their own self because they're worried about judgment from others, which makes them start judging their selves for what they're doing. Has meditation helped you with that or does it in general? Oh, that will help massively because you can recognize that, oh, I'm, I'm having a feeling or I'm having a thought, but it's just a feeling. It's just a thought. It's actually completely empty and it has no reality beyond what I give it. So one of the biggest um, breakthroughs that people have with meditation is they go, oh, I don't have to believe my thoughts. Because <laughs> <laughs> you create them, right? Yeah. Well, well, we don't create them. They just appear. Okay. But I don't have to attach to them. And I certainly don't have to attach any importance to them. Yeah. Um, when you said they appear, how do they appear? Don't we create that thought? <laughs> well, it feels like that. It feels like but that. But then when you meditate, you will be, you'll think, right, I'm going to meditate now and I'm going to be quiet for the next 20 minutes. Start meditating. Oh, I'm suddenly thinking about... This time when a, a kid punched me when I was five. Why is that thought there? I didn't have, I didn't bring that up. I didn't direct that. Okay. I didn't make that happen. It just came up. So it came from somewhere in the subconscious. And we're having thoughts and feelings all the time. We have this illusion that we're creating them and doing it. But in fact, a lot of things are going on under the surface that are driving our, um, our actions in our everyday. Our unconscious is driving our conscious world and once you get good at recognizing that it's good for you because then you don't have to start acting out old patterns you can break your patterns much more easily because something will trigger you and you'll recognize oh I'm triggered I'm not going to do the thing that is coming naturally I'm not going to shout at this person or I'm not going <laughs> to yeah. do this thing that I've I would normally there. do <laughs> I should I should make it clear at this point though there's tre- plenty of times when I when old conditioning does still play out in yeah, me of course. and I catch myself and be like oh yeah guess I'm not enlightened then yeah. <laughs> I think well it's hard to and I say this to my clients about training and stuff like don't expect to damage your body for 25 years and expect it to change overnight mm. you know you're still going to have those habits and patterns that may come back and there's been loads of times where I've definitely like sounds weird as fuck but <laughs> I definitely feel like I'm a better person after my mushroom trip <laughs> since, I've start, since I started meditating and stuff. I actually do believe I'm a better, a nicer person. For sure. I feel like it, as well as growing up with other activities, but I just feel like I've had this new view of just, I guess, being, mm. you know, instead of worrying about the things that I don't worry about. And if I'm being honest, like lately for the last few weeks, I feel like, I have not let go of that, but you can get very carried away with how busy you are. And it is hard to sometimes go, fuck, Dylan, you need to meditate. Why haven't you meditated? You were doing this every single day. Why are you doing it at lunchtime when you were doing it first thing in the morning? What would you say to someone? How would you best create a routine to force, not force, because would you say you have to force meditation on first to build that habit? I think so, yeah. In the early days, yeah. The best thing to do is look for ways of habit stacking. So finding habits that you already have installed and then just putting the new one on top of that so they follow always. So for example, cleaning your teeth in the morning is the obvious one. You know, wake up, clean teeth, meditate. Always in that order. You don't want to meditate on a full stomach. 
So it's better to do it before breakfast. Why? Um, because if your body's digesting that food, it will just give your body a bit too much to do. And if everything settles down and calms down, your body wants to have a bit of a rest, but then it's also got to do this job of breaking down food. So you might have a bit of a stomach ache. Because it's already kind of busy. You want it to, I see what you're saying. Best of, yeah, best to meditate on an empty stomach if possible, or just give it an hour after you eat. Would you say meditation helps with relief of physical pain? It, well, Definitely it can because it brings relaxation, but sometimes it might also highlight any pains. So you might go into the meditation thinking, oh, I need to relax. Suddenly you're feeling these aches and pains that you didn't even know you had. And that's because, firstly, you may have been too distracted to notice they were there. But then also, sometimes it's the stress-relieving effect. Again, you're relaxing deeply, so your body is now taking the time to bring up some old unconscious material and to bring it to the surface and burn it off you're letting go of some emotional baggage and sometimes that will create aches and pains in the body so it's not so simple as to um be to get rid of pain but <laughs> sometimes it might even bring it on but it won't last it will it will go what mindfulness can do for you though is help you relate to the pain in another way so what you might do, for example, I was on a meditation retreat once. I was sitting cross-legged and my legs were killing me. My back yeah. was killing me. It was like, I was like, why am I doing this to myself? And then at some point, something's just switched. And I realized that this pain in my knee wasn't actually the problem. The problem was that it was creating all this sensation. And then my mind was making this huge story out of it, like, it's going to go on forever and probably damaging my knees. You know, what? this isn't fair. All of this drama. And I suddenly realized when that dropped away that really all I was experiencing was a combination of pressure, heat, and tingling. And it really was nothing to be scared of. And in fact, I could put my attention there and just experience those things raw without all of this mental overlay. And all the problem just fell away. It took about 50 hours of meditation to have this uh, understanding, but suddenly it was there. And so in, for a normal person who isn't doing crazy retreats and stuff, you can take your attention to the pain and have a full experience of it if it's not too overwhelming. And weirdly, by facing it, you'll find it all calms down because a lot of the problem was your mind making a big deal out of it. I feel like I do that with some things that are not, pain related but other things that could possibly trigger me and then my mind goes to some weird fucking place that <laughs> is not even related to it yeah you know and i think like the mind is so weird and and i've noticed when when i'm not in that routine of meditating every single day it, it definitely doesn't kind of it's almost like charging your brain in it i think of it like that recharging yourself yeah that's what i mean that's what it feels like and, like a laptop, you need to switch it off now and again, power down, close the windows, do a restart, and when you bring it back on, everything works better. The kind of meditation I teach, I often use that as the analogy. What, what would you say to people that meditate? Because I've spoken to a few a few people and, and I've heard girls say stuff like, yeah, I meditate. When I say girls, I mean like girls I've chatted to. They're like, yeah, I just meditate in a bath. And I'm like, I'm like <laughs> meditating a bath like what? With your candles and that. I don't know. What, what would you say? Because now it's cool to meditate now, isn't it? Because mm, now it's yeah, cool to yeah. meditate, right? So, and I feel like people are now saying stuff for the sake of saying it or just kind of almost, and you know when someone's not genuine about it because they're like, nah, 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 nah. You're not enlightened, mate. <laughs> you know, you can see it with someone. What, 
what would you say to those people? As in, should you be seated upright, legs crossed, eyes closed, or say someone that's starting you? I have a good analogy for this. So take the world of exercise. My, to my granddad, right, his exercise every day is to walk around the block back to his house. Yeah. 10 minute, done. Twice a day, 10 minute little walk. And that's his exercise and that's perfectly good for him. That's fine for him. I have other friends who are, you know, hardcore into the bodybuilding. Some like people are into ultra marathon running. So it just depends on what level you want to meet it at. The people I'm teaching, I'm saying, you're going to have to get a bit more serious because you're going to have to be sitting up with the back supported. It doesn't work if you lie down. You can't do this in the bath. You want to, you want to save it for a time when you can sit quietly, comfortably, back supported with the eyes closed and not be disturbed for at least 50 minutes, ideally 20, 25 minutes. If you can find that time in your day, twice a day, do this practice, your life will change. Um, of course, there are some people who take it way more seriously and who do hours and hours of practice and then some who do even less. So it just depends where the person is. But for most normal people with a busy life, I can usually convince them to get the 20 minutes twice a day because once they feel the ROI and they realize it's working for them and it feels good, then they'll suddenly make the time. <laughs> That's good. I love all this stuff because I'm learning as well. And I'm like, because it's really interesting to me. And because when, when, when I started meditating and it was weird, I know I'm a personal trainer. I've been doing it for like 10 years. Right. And fitness to me is in my eyes. I was always like, this will change your life. Like you will actually live longer because you'll be healthier. But now I think meditation is actually more powerful than that. Because I do think there's a huge correlation, a huge link between exercise and being mentally healthy. Would you say you've noticed any of your clients or maybe yourself even when you did go into that state with meditation and stuff, you've started to become, you just naturally start making healthier choices, say, you know what, I'm going to exercise today or I'm going to go for a longer walk. Did that happen for you? And is that what happens with your clients? Yeah, that that's what my teacher said would happen. That's what happened for me, that I just started making healthier decisions because I wasn't looking to do something to change my state of consciousness anymore because I liked the way my mind felt. I liked the way my body felt. So I wasn't reaching for the alcohol. I wasn't reaching for the junk food. Um, and yeah, so going for a walk suddenly becomes a joy because a walk before was just a person with a messy mind who felt like crap going for a walk. Now you go for a walk and you're like, I never realized how blue the sky was. Look at that yeah. bird, isn't it amazing? <laughs> you know, it's a bit of a cliche, yeah. but you do start to feel much more uh, open and connected to things and you things will start to possibly look more profound than they did before. What was just a tree before now looks like this beautiful piece of artwork because the mind is calm and the nervous system is calm and you're more in touch with your true nature, what you are underneath all of those thoughts and emotions and memories and future projections underneath it all, quite simply, is quite blissful and quite pure and quite happy as it is. What do you think our true nature is? Um, Because before all this, I guess, 
phones, this, that technology. Like my mom and dad are from a village, my grandparents. I actually never, I never understood why my granddad would just sit on a mountain and just stare at the mountains for like hours. <laughs> I'd be like, mom, what, what's, what's, my, what's granddad doing? But now I kind of get it. Yeah. Would you say that is our true nature, being in nature? Well, the way I look at it is, if you strip it all back, so you, you meditate to such a deep level that you get past all of the thoughts, feelings, emotions, and sensations, and you connect to the deepest part of you, I'll often use words to explain what that is, like inner stillness, inner silence, bliss, happiness, joy, whatever. The truth is they're all placeholder words for something that I don't have the language to describe. You can only experience it. Okay. So you can only, you can point to it, but the person has to experience it themselves. Yeah, that's why it's so hard like, <laughs> when you do have that feeling or that experience. It's very hard to explain. So you just like, you have to do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You have to do it guided or you have, you just have to do it to know exactly. Because each person will have a different feeling, right? And when, when you started making this progress in your life or what you see with the people that you worked did you also find that your relationship with people was way better? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it makes a big difference because you can see other people's old reactive patterns coming out and being projected onto you and you don't take it so personally because the person's not being mean to me. They're just playing out their what's going on in their own mind and projecting it on. You know, I remember during the, when the pandemic was like quite early on, um, some guy getting annoyed at me for some reason. Um, I think maybe, maybe I'd forgotten a mask or something. I can't remember the situation, but I remember at the time thinking, oh, don't react. He's just afraid. He's, he's being aggressive towards you, but it's not about you. He's clearly afraid by all the stuff he's been watching on TV. Um, just, just leave it, walk away and, um, you know, he'll, he'll calm down later. It wasn't about me. It was clearly about um, his own stress levels and his own anxieties. Um, so yeah, you, you can find it much easier to deal with people when you're more aware of how your own mind works because you realize that how their mind works. Don't you think that also scares people when they talk to you? <laughs> well... I'm not saying that I'm perfect though. It would a person could a person could easily like stress me out. I still feel the same emotions um, as I used to. So it wouldn't always work as perfectly as I've just explained. Okay. But one of the big differences is that your emotions aren't sticky anymore. So when you do have a very stressful event or you do have an argument with your partner or whatever it is, you go away from that and it moves on really really quickly. You don't get caught in it. So you won't sulk and you won't stress and you won't hold a grudge. Because you recognize that all these things are just constantly passing through. None of it's permanent. It's just like the weather. You know, you don't get angry because it's raining because you know that eventually the sun will come out. It's exactly the same with your thoughts, feelings, and emotions. That's a great way of fucking looking at it, actually. <laughs> yeah. Can we clip that? <laughs> That's a great way of looking at it. Um, and, you, you could, and you can learn to see yourself like that. The old analogy is that, you know, think of yourself as the sky and the weather is what's moving through it. Usually, we're so caught up in the weather that the weather of the mind in this case, the angry thoughts, feelings, and emotions. Yeah. But once you do start to relax back away from that and feel yourself as just the space in which it all arises, well, life can become quite easy then. <laughs> Amazing. Did when 
when when these changes were happening and the changes that you see from people and their relationships with people, um, did you find that with yourself, um, a lot of people were judging you from the changes that you were making at that moment of your life? You as in you becoming in essence, a better version of yourself for you. Did you, did you start to see your circles change? Did you start to see people become judgmental? Did you start to see people, like you said before, maybe fear of maybe even losing you? Cause I think this happens a lot with couples. Um, wouldn't say one outgrows someone else, but sometimes people try to create a better version of their self. And sometimes they're held back by their partner or their loved ones or whatever, because the opposite person is scared they're going to lose them because they are becoming a better person. Did you find that happening or do you see that happening with any of your clients? A lot of the people I teach say that they have problems like this. I didn't have it so much because it was quite a slow transition. And I think some of my friends probably wanted to test me a bit as I was going through it. You know, they're inviting me out for drinks and trying to get me to have drinks when I didn't want drinks because we'd always had that relationship, me and my friends. Um, but generally speaking, because the way I've always spoken about it is so down to earth and honest and just I'll talk about meditation like a mate down the pub would talk about it, yeah. it kind of actually had the opposite effect. A lot of my friends all were like, started taking the piss and by the end of the conversation, they're going, oh my God, can you teach me? Or where should I go to learn? So I've actually um, had loads of my friends go through the process and do the course now and they all do it. Um, not all actually, but a good portion of them do it and they enjoy it. So it's, it's one of those things that's worked out quite nicely. But I think it's harder maybe for younger people yeah. who are still in that party lifestyle and they want to kind of break out of it because they recognize it's doing something to their mental health. But then they don't want to lose contact with their friends who they absolutely love who are still in that lifestyle. Yeah. And it's hard that there's no one size fits all solution to that kind of thing. So it definitely can it can be a problem. And I would just say in those situations, you just need to be true to yourself. You just need to say, look, maybe I, I, if these are my true friends, then I can take myself out of this group for a while, get my head together, and I'll come back when I'm ready. And also, I should be able to just tell the truth about how I feel. And if they reject me for that, not good friends. So, And what would you say to the person that is? Because there'll be people here listening to this for sure and have seen probably changes through their other friends or maybe have judged people from, I guess, however they're feeling or fear of losing someone or something, what would you say to them? What would you, what would you say to, what should they do? Because I guess a lot of people with some level of hate, jealousy, um, there's a problem there. Yeah. I think anyone that has any level of hate or is jealous, because I've, I've never really trusted anyone that's jealous, you know, and you see it with, with your friends. Sometimes you tell someone something good that happened tell them a story and you can see from their their body language that they're not actually happy for you they're actually very jealous and I've got zero tolerance for that if I'm being honest what would you say to that person because those people 100% there'll be some that's listening they need to fucking change (laughs) what would you say to them how would you say to them how would they recognize it what could they do how could meditation help Mm. Yeah, that's an that's an unhealed part of you. If somebody's telling you about a great thing that's happening in their life and you're and it's making you feel annoyed, then of course that's just some part of you that is hurting that it can't feel happy for that person. And so the only thing that you can do is try and become more conscious of that. 
For some people, therapy works great for that. I've never done it personally, but I, I can really see how that would help because you get support of another person who knows what they're talking about to help lead you through it. Meditation helps you because you start to become conscious of your old reactive patterns and how your mind works and why your mind works. I was in a, some, I was on something the other day where I came into contact with this person and they had like quite a bad vibe. There was something quite aggressive about this person. Nothing but like bad happened, but I noticed that it triggered some emotions in me. Now the old me would have possibly just projected something onto that person. But in my own mind now, I just thought, oh, isn't that strange? After all this meditation, I can still feel that level of anxiety when I'm around somebody like that. But there was no story attached to it. It's just raw sensation that passed on later on. And that's it. Once you learn how to relate different, it's not about getting rid of thoughts and emotions. It's learning how to relate differently to those thoughts and emotions. So if you can just become conscious of why you're, the fact that you're feeling and acting in certain ways, dig a bit deeper. Why am I thinking this? Why am I acting in this way? You can start to work through it and get some insight into where it's all coming from. Often though, people will have to, if you, if you want to, do that consciously, you'd probably have to work with a therapist. Meditation breaks up a lot of that stuff and gets rid of it in the background without you knowing. Okay. Okay. By practicing it in the background while you're just cracking on with your day, it's still working through those processes. Yeah. Cause it's like I was saying about, um, unprocessed emotions that stay stuck in the body and in the mind. Yeah. See in the Eastern worldview, we call that sanskaras. It's actually where we get our English word scar from. They're like scars of in your consciousness. So everything that happens to you that leaves a big impression in some way that you haven't had a clear experience of, it's still you're still holding on to it. Meditation will allow the body to, re to relax so deeply that the body feels safe to bring that stuff up. Now, people listening to this might think, well, that doesn't sound very scientific. <laughs> You'd be right. But practice it and you'll reckon, you'll see it in yourself and you'll see it in other people. There's no two ways about it. The meditation, like you said, you cried after meditation one time. Yeah. Well, that's because you were releasing something. The thing that you released, the stress, the unprocessed emotions that you released were having the same flavor on the way out as they had had on the way mm. in. You needed to feel whatever it was you felt so you yeah. could let it go. And that's gone now. So that bit of baggage is gone. Yeah. And the more baggage you've got, that's directing how you act in your life. So if you can, the more of that you can let go of, the more free you are to act in a way that's spontaneous and normal and not being driven by old things that happened to you years ago. No, I agree. I'm not going to lie. I let my demons out this one time. <laughs> 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 Meditated about it, uh, told someone that I trust about it, like everything, everything, every sort of... Um, People can say what they want, but everyone's done some shit, I guess they're not proud of or something, maybe at mm. that moment of time. And when I spoke about it, I actually felt a hundred times better. Like I actually did feel so much better and I couldn't believe I held it in for that long. And I think that's something, but I can't always tell if sometimes I, I really, I think people choose, I don't know if it's laziness, but I don't think they want to. I don't think they want to do that. It's almost like you don't want to become I don't know, healthier or better. It's almost like you want to be that victim. Do you ever feel like that about some people? Or um, is this me overanalyzing this about some issue that I need to fix about myself maybe? No, I'm sure there are loads of people like that because 
or the, well, the way I was brought up in school, they never told us about any of this stuff. And we were, mostly were told, boys don't cry, don't show your emotions. You know, you would take the piss out of somebody for talking about emotions and feelings. I can imagine a 20-year-old version of me now listening to this podcast <laughs> yeah. and just really riffing me yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it took a long time to like get used to the idea that, oh, it's okay to, to talk about crying and things like yeah. that. Um, it's not strange, not weird anymore, but for a lot of people it is. It's not, it's not manly, it's not cool, it's not tough. And that's changing. That seems to be changing. Like all of these things are becoming quite normal. It's normal to talk about mental health. So I'm really, really happy about that. My generation though, so people who are 40 now, um, still have that old conditioning of it's, you know, I would never go see a therapist because it's weak. Yeah, that is. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. And I think it, it I, th I think there's a weird balance because now I feel like the new generation, and I think it's great people are talking about this and everything. But then I also feel like sometimes people are taking advantage of these talks to sometimes create a problem when there isn't one and then to label it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. That's basically in order to get clout on social media. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure you've seen it. Yeah. And they drive me crazy. Like, I don't know. I saw a profile like... I saw, what profile did I see? I just saw a profile and I was just like, fucking hell, I can just, I don't even know this person, but like, I, I get this weird feeling like when I know, when I, and maybe this is wrong, but, and this is stuff that you can't explain and you can't prove wrong. You know, when you just get a feeling and you're just like, this is fake. <laughs> I can't explain it, but you give off a vibe that I just know it's not real. And it pisses me off when people fall for it, right? And how do you feel about the people that are doing that online? Because I'm sure now you're a legit meditation guy. And I'm sure you probably get guys like me now talking about meditation <laughs> or people that are trying to kind of jump into your scene, but have not actually done the things or know the things to teach people. How do you feel about that? And then does that make you angry? And if it does, how do you deal with it? It doesn't really make me angry, but I do see it quite a lot. Yeah. So I see these people on social media who clearly have just basically downloaded an app, done some meditations, and then now say they're a meditation teacher without really being trained by anyone or He's going not talking through the about processes. me, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and so I see it and I just think, well, it's not that damaging, actually, because for what will happen is people will go and try and learn with them. They'll pick up some basics because the basics are very, very simple. And once they recognize that there's no further to go with this person, when the person can't answer their questions, then they'll probably move on. The only problem is, is sometimes in the spiritual space, you do get people who are really, really uh, full of their own ego and are trying to put themselves as a spiritual teacher. Okay. And I think that can be quite dangerous because people who go searching and when they get put with the wrong kind of spiritual teacher, that's when you get, you know, cults and... and all... What's a spiritual teacher? Well, people, people who are just sort of essentially <clears throat> labeling themselves a spiritual teacher and telling, making out like they have some special knowledge about the truth of it all you know okay. i see a lot of this on instagram and so what i would just say to everybody is just work on the assumption that nobody has all the answers 
listen to your own inner voice and go with your own direct experience. I teach people meditation. So I like to say I teach you a technique, but I'm not going to start telling you how to live your life or what you should do or anything like that. You have to walk the path. You have to work it all out. Use this technique to help you do that. Do you think we, we already have all the answers? No, no. It's a huge mystery. The, okay. the, 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 the meditation helps you get close to the mystery and live in the mystery more. Okay. <laughs> so you think there is no answers? Um, As in like, sometimes when I think about things and I ask people stuff, I'm like, why don't I just ask myself and kind of look within? And I know that might sound a little bit weird, but almost like I feel like I already have the answer, but I'm just maybe need clarity on it or reassurance mm. on it. But you're saying it's all a mystery. Well, I think we may be talking about two different things. Okay. So I agree with what you said, that meditation really is the tool that you can use to get quiet enough to actually hear your own inner voice and your intuition and figure out what you actually want. Okay. So that works quite nicely. But if you're talking about, I thought we were talking about the wider reality, like what is this life? What is this universe? That's the, that's the big mystery. And meditation can even help us um, get closer to that, but you're never going to solve it because the human mind can't wrap itself around that. You know what? We <laughs> should do some shrooms and talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, like, <laughs> I remember me and my friends at one point, we were in Australia, we had this huge fruit platter and we were solving world problems. <laughs> and it, was, it was such a weird, amazing conversation. And then another time I was actually in a cabin with a friend um, and uh, did shrooms together and um, I was just looking out into the stars right and it's just like I was like none of any problem that I thought I had when I just kind of thought about the universe I was like how was whatever problem I thought I had how is that even a problem like my problem is so small I'm so small in this universe like it kind of it kind of helps me overcome I guess not issues, but problems that I thought that were problems. And what advice would you give to someone? Like, is there something that you attach something to when you do feel a bit stressed or anything where you're like, hold on a second, this isn't really a big problem. Is there something that you do or a way of that you, you deal with it? Um, if I feel stressed or uncomfortable emotions, mostly I try to think to myself, let me try and feel this emotion fully. Let me have a really clear experience of this emotion so that it can be felt and expressed and then it can just pass on more quickly um, because I recognize that all emotions positive and negative are impermanent simply passing through and if you when the good ones come when the good stuff come <laughs> that's when you want to um, use mindfulness to amplify that to feel it more fully and you will train your brain in that way to become good at generating even more happiness. So you want to feel those good emotions. When the difficult ones come along, you don't necessarily want to amplify them, but you do just want to feel them and not repress them. And then they can uh, move on in their own time much more quickly and they won't get stored. So in a way, mindfulness is a really powerful practice to deal with stress in the now. Mm. And then practices like I teach, the deep meditation, help you get rid of old stress that you're hanging on okay. to. Kind of like seeing seeing what it is for seeing it for what it is, 
acknowledging it and then moving forward from it. Of course, sorry, I should say that sometimes, you know, actual problems come up in life and you can't just use mindfulness and meditation. You have to fix the specific problem. So don't use meditation to just hide away from problems. Oh, my car broke down. I won't take it to the, exactly. I won't take it to the mechanic. Yeah. I'll just meditate on it. But that also does like, uh, it reminds me of, because um, I do think like it's hard to get people to take, take meditation, I guess, seriously in a way when all the funky hippies are talking about in a mad way, living up on some mountain and people like can't relate to it. Right. <laughs> Which is why I wanted to bring you in. Cause I was like, oh, I can relate to you. Cause it's like, you're kind of, you're in my world, but also I've been in another world and kind of like connected it, I guess, in a way more relatable way to a wider, a wider range um, of audience. Do you think some of those people get really lost in their ways and, really lost in, I guess, that hippie life where they're actually not even kind of connected anymore. You know, it's funny. Somebody told me this story once that they said they went and lived on this hippie commune in the middle of nowhere. And it was all about, you know, being vegan and meditating and doing yoga and stuff. And when they talked about leaving the commune to go into the local town, they would say, they would use the weirdest language. They would say, oh, um, I'm going to have to go back into the storyline later. They considered themselves at, like the real world, this kind of like storyline that everybody else is involved in and that they were outside of it in their commune. And I always found that really, really strange. So I imagine there are some places where they do become very insular and they do um, have their own little world. But is it bad? I don't really know. I mean... I'm sure lots of those places, they have a great life. So Do you I, find I that those say. people think they're better than other people though? I think it probably depends on the okay. person. Because I've come across, in this whole meditation world, I've come across some people who've let it go to their head and they feel like they know so much more than everybody else that almost like they've got special powers and yeah. they talk about themselves like that. Yeah. It just feels like too much ego to me. I find that really off-putting. I found other people who are the complete opposite. You can tell when you interact with them that they want nothing from you whatsoever. Yeah. And they're just doing what they do because they're here now and why not? They've got yeah. something to share. And that really appeals to me. So I try and always keep that in mind. Like that's exactly what I want to be. Like not feeding the ego, but treating people in that way, which is why weirdly I don't, even use the word clients because it feels strange when yeah, I teach people enough. meditation. Yeah. Would you say, because it should, well, I don't know, you tell me, but it, when you're meditating, do you reckon it strips your ego? Yeah, it can give you a brief um, holiday from ego consciousness. So you can lose all of that, all of your past history, all of your thoughts and feelings and all of the, all of the identity that you've built up, you can lose all of that. And that can be very powerful. In some types of meditation, it depresses, it, sorry, it um, suppresses the part of the brain called the default mode network, which is kind of the home of the ego. So if you keep doing it for deep enough and for long enough over time, your ego will just start to get broken down naturally. Um, the ego is not necessarily bad. It's not something to be destroyed. It's just who you think you are, your sense of being a self and identity. So you don't want to get rid of it completely, but 
It's what um, we, do you, but you it, don't want to take it too seriously. Yeah. Okay. And do you think it's what we create ourselves? Um, well, it kind of gets created as we go through life and we, we, um, we, it gets built up layer by layer, kind of like an onion. Okay. So when you meditate, you're stripping layers of the onion away. Okay. Similarly, when you do uh, things like psychedelics, you just strip it yeah. all away so fast yeah. <laughs> that you get a big blast. But you're meditation, so it's gradual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're so vulnerable just crying in front of a fireplace. Yeah, and no, I'm not talking about myself. <laughs> um, yeah, and um, I saw something on your socials, uh, couples that meditate. Oh, yeah, yeah. The uh, first thing I thought in my head was like, no, you shut up. No, you shut up. Hold on. Let's meditate together. <laughs> what, um, what was your, what was your whole post about that? Like you said, you had this theory where like couples that meditate together, <laughs> stay together. And if I'm being honest, that's like, to me, I'm like, hold on a second. That seems a bit cheesy, but I want to hear like your actual thought process in that and how it can actually help, I guess, couples okay. or, any, or friendships or whatever. Well, the reason I, it was about relationships specifically was because what I was saying is there's this researcher called John Gottman and he's been um, a relationship expert for like 50 years, you know, and he's really into the scientific side of it all. And he says that he can predict whether a couple will stay together or break up. In fact, he, he's talking about married couples. So he says it's, he can predict whether people will divorce or will stay together by looking at their blood samples. What? Yeah, me mental, right? Because he says that the couples that will break up are the ones with high levels of stress hormones in their body when they argue. And he says, it doesn't matter what your arguments look like to the outside world. You could have people who argue 10 times a day and they're screaming and shouting, and you could have another couple who argue once a month and it's very low key. But the ones who have the most stress hormones in the blood, they're the ones that will break up. It doesn't matter if they're what it looks like to everybody else. And he even said, you know, the people who argue a lot, no problem. It's really nothing. It doesn't matter a lot. Because if they're not really getting wound up by it, and it's just expressing the emotions in the moment, it's fine. But these people who are seething away, not, to, not having arguments, they could be much worse. So anyway, since meditation can flush stress hormones out of the body and introduce new happy hormones. If you two are meditating together in your relationship, you're both constantly getting those stress hormones down and therefore your relationship has a chance to, uh, much more of a chance of being successful long term. But also there's other things because it's a bonding experience for yeah. the two of you. But I, I was specifically talking about that because I just okay. thought it was so cool with the stress hormone thing. Okay. That also reminded me of Here's a story for you. And you might think I'm crazy for this and people are going to go, Darren, why are you telling us this? But I want to, I want to know, you might have experienced it and I feel like someone like you would, would know or might have heard a story. I was having sex this one time, right? And I swear to God, I felt like I was meditating. I was so present. <laughs> <laughs> I was so present. I was like, hold on a second. I feel like I can, I can almost feel whatever they're feeling and almost like I'm having a, a conversation with this person. Have you ever experienced anything like that? Is that a thing? <laughs> it is a thing. I've spoken to other meditation teachers yes. about this, <laughs> that yeah, becoming mindfulness will of course put you more in the present moment, more into a feeling of your body, less out of your head with the thoughts, feelings, get the stress down. Why wouldn't it make sex better? 
It yeah. would. And in fact, I even have a funny story about this, that when I started teaching people first, it, I was in London at the time, and I was teaching kind of stressed out people who um, had busy lives, busy jobs. And one of the things I noticed in my students was this question kept coming up over and over again. Why do I feel so horny all the time? <laughs> so people were saying this, like that, that something about the meditation was making them feel horny. And I was like, that's weird. I, nobody mentioned that on teacher training. <laughs> anyway, once I talked to some other people, I figured it out. It's simply because they were meditating usually on public transport on the way home from work, clearing out all that stress, getting back, having a better connection with their partner. And then when they went to bed, they weren't flat out knackered because they were tired. They'd restored their energy levels. Ready to go. Let's get it on. <laughs> Ready to go. Oh, I'm so glad I asked that. Because I was like, this one time I was like, no, this is, this is, this is, I was like, this feels unreal. <laughs> like, it was like a, I don't know, it was like a shooting star right up my spine <laughs> into space. And it, and it just shows like, I guess meditating, being healthy, being happy and ha and having a good connection with people by being completely present at that moment of time just makes your life, I think, a hundred times better. And um, I'm assuming one of your goals is to spread the message as much as possible. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. I want to motivate people to find what works for them in the world of meditation. And where can people find you? That I'm that meditation guy on Instagram, or you can check out my website, delvedeep.com. Thank you for coming on. That was, uh, I had a lot of fun. Guys, make sure you give Jimmy a follow. Check out his stuff. Um, I'm not going to lie, I'll probably end up on your course at some point. Oh, I, yeah. I want to I wanna definitely learn more. I want to... I want to get deeper, man. I want to get as deep as possible. I want to get so deep, I want to drown. <laughs> um, is there anything like anything else you'd like to say before we finish off? No, that's all good. Thanks for having me on. I've really enjoyed it. I forgot we were on a podcast for a while. I was just chatting away to a mate, really. Oh, good. And that's exactly like, the sort of vibe that I like to create. But um, guys, thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you give Jimmy a follow. And also, peace and love. Thank you for listening. Peace.